This is The Guardian. Hello and welcome to The Guardian Football Weekly, a game of two halves at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Manchester United surrendering a two-goal lead against a team with no confidence under an interim interim. Lots of sad slow-mo shots of Spurs in the rain at half-time and they turned up in the second half for the first time in months. A draw not necessarily that useful for either side, but an enjoyable game nonetheless. At Goodison, Alexander Izak dribbled round the entire Everton team twice as Newcastle marched towards the Champions League while Everton are in deep trouble. Might they be following Southampton, who are surely down after defeat at home to Bournemouth? We'll look ahead to this weekend and ask if Ryan Reynolds' social media pursuit of Gareth Bale might just work. That plus your questions, and that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. We've assembled a panel of people we presume would be awake at this time anyway. It's what, uh, 10 to 11 p.m. UK time. Barry Glendenning, welcome. If Jake Humphrey is prepared to stay up past his bedtime <laughs> to present football, <laughs> then I am prepared to stay up past mine to talk about it. Hey, world-class basics. Barry Noradin Chowdhury, welcome. Hello. And hello, John Bruin. Hello, Max. Uh, let's start then uh, with Spurs 2, Manchester United 2. Um uh, here's some recency bias from me, um, which I wrote about 10 minutes to go. I think that second half was the best Spurs have played all season. I appreciate, Barry, the bar is low. Uh, you were on the minute by minute. Uh, what did you make of that? So we're recording this more or less straight after the game. I haven't really had time to ruminate and digest. I I don't know if it's the best Spurs have played um, this season. It's certainly the best I've seen them play recently. But as you say, it's a low bar. They look down and out at half time, having gone in 2 0 down, uh, conceded two pretty sloppy goals. And yeah, I didn't give them a prayer. I thought they'd lose, end up losing 4 or 5 0. So I suppose they deserve a certain amount of credit for rallying at half time and trying to restore some much needed pride. And they probably should have won the game because. They they got the two goals back and they missed several guilt edge chances. Eric Dyer missed an absolute sitter. Uh, Son missed a, a glorious opportunity. And yeah, I think there were there was another chance there was a Perisic maybe should have done better uh with one opportunity. So in the end a draw was probably a fair result. Not much use to Spurs in terms of a top four finish. But um, I, I think things were getting pretty mutinous there at the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Uh, Daniel Levy was getting loads of it from the fans. They had banners. They were chanting about him. They wanted him out. I don't think he cares what the fans think of him. Uh, and the players got booed off at half time, and they looked utterly bereft of confidence. But I think Manchester United did let them back into it, and some... Poor substitutions on the part of Eric Ten Hag uh, made made life easier for Spurs. Gave them a route back into a game they should had no business getting back into. Mm, we've got quite a, a Manchester United other half of the panel here, um, and you always watch football through that lens, don't you, John? And I wonder if a team has ever taken their foot off the pedal quite as much as Manchester United appeared to do in that second half. Well, I know a team that's quite capable of taking the foot off the pedal, and that's Manchester United. 
which appears to have been the pattern about the last 10 years. Well, they played really well in the first half. Rashford resplendent. Uh, yeah, yeah. Every player playing well, really. You know, even David De Gea looks quite confident, made a couple of decent saves. But they got complacent. And I suppose that's the thing that Eric Tan Hag has complained about quite a lot. Um, now, social media being what it is, uh, we've gone into the wild comparisons and somebody is saying... Is Eric Tan Hag a better manager than Ole Gunnar Solskjaer? I've seen. Uh, I'm going to name him. Uh, <laughs> John Muller, uh, who's the athletic stats guy, who has run some stats, and he, he suggests that, uh, that the point is that uh, Ten Hag has a stronger squad and is doing worse. Now, I think if you speak to Manchester United fans, they would reject that opinion uh, for the good things that they've seen this season. But I don't think... With performances like this and uh, Liverpool, Newcastle, you name it, uh, that we can say that Ten Hag is definitely the guy to turn around Manchester United. The signs are good, but this does seem to happen quite a lot. And uh, within they were playing a team desperately short of confidence, a team that a a team the, the top teams like Manchester City. Playing a team with no confidence, you basically go and rip the throat out and make sure they don't get back into the game. And that's what Manchester United did not do tonight. Yeah, I thought United were wank in the second half. Um, but again, like in the first half, I know they played really well, but there was there were so many chances where Spurs essentially got to the byline and crossed it over and there was no one there to to knock it in. Um they could have they could have done like with just like a, a box in the box, like a like a Franny Jeppers. But, but but there was there was no one there to finish it. But but so United were lucky in that respect. But they did play well. But second half, it's that thing, um, essentially what John was saying that that there's not that killer instinct of like let's get a third and finish it. It it becomes a case of United become really passive, settle settle down to sort of defend and and go in the counter attack. And United aren't yet good enough to do that. And it's funny if if United had held on, people would be praising Lindelof and Shaw. As playing well, sort of in that central defence, Shaw, uh, Shaw in particular, but as a as a team, they're just not good enough. There's always going to be holes. There's always going to be a bit of uh, confusion. And 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 Spurs, as as well as Spurs played, um, I'd say United were worse rather than Spurs were better. And and again, like Barry said, they had so many chances before they scored. And 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 uh, it's it's funny reading um, the the Ten Hag comments after the game. I've not seen the interview, but I've I've I've, I've seen a. Uh, um, I've seen it written down, and, and he says we were not good over ninety minutes, uh, which is staying the obvious. <laughs> and, and also, he says um, you could see a goal coming. I had subs ready, but it was too late. But the thing is, if anything, the subs seem to make it worse. And 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 the, and the whole the whole thing about Ten Hag and what was so um, well, one of the things that was dead exciting about him um, in the first half of the season, he always affected the game. The subs he brought on or the changes he'd made always had a positive impact and it just it just feels as if the last few games it's not really doing that and 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 this was remarkably similar well it felt remarkably similar to to the Seville game where two nil up looking like coasting one more goal and and, and we thrashed them and uh, and yet you let them you let them sort of play onto you they score a goal and then there's not that mental capacity to deal with it especially away from home true although I mean at 2-1 Pedro Porras goes that goal and then at, at, about what, 30 seconds later, Barry? Fernandez actually does brilliantly to create the chance and then somehow hits the bar. 
Yeah, that was an astonishing miss. He um, he did a, a sort of soft shoe shuffle, nutmegged Eric Dyer. Eric Dyer seemed to be at the heart of everything that was bad about Spurs this evening. <laughs> I don't I don't want to single him out. Uh, let's let's do it, Barry, because uh, I mean his his, his <laughs> that for for Rashford's goal, Arsenal did this last night. There does appear to be this trend in uh, defenders now: sh- open the gate, show them where to shoot, and that's exactly what was done for for that. Mm, it was he goal. ushered him. It was very much like your seat is over here, Marcus. <laughs> yeah, <exactly>. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Fernandez got the ball on the edge of the or was advancing towards the edge of the box. Dyer was between him and the goal. And then suddenly, it was like he he'd done some sort of David Copperfield esque magic trick and disappeared in a puff of smoke, and suddenly was the other side of Dyer. So yeah, he'd not made him basically was clean through on goal, and um, scoring was easier than smashing the ball off the crossbar. But smash the ball off the crossbar is what he did, and. It was, it was a bad miss. Yeah, it does that, and that does change exactly what you know. You could imagine what would have happened then at, at Spurs. I really enjoyed afterwards. Very slow motion Wan-Bissaka header, and very slow motion Fraser Forster save. It was like suddenly the game went just just went on 0.5 speed, didn't it? Um, Stephen says, "How was Richardson not offside for for the first Tottenham goal? Does anyone is there a case? Do Manchester United have a case? De Gea sort of after the event." No, 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 because he's, he's so bad, well. He's not interfering with play, is he? Like he, he's sort of there. He, no, I mean Richarlison doesn't tend. He doesn't no, tend no, that's to that's not been his. The, <laughs> when he plays for Brazil, he's always interfering. But but when he's playing for Tottenham, little interference. Um, can, can I mention Ryan Mason, or were we going to get on to Ryan Mason? Yeah, please do. Yeah, I mean, this is not the first time we've seen him, but he he has the look of. Uh, like the cast member of Hollyoaks or an in betweener or something like that. And hang on, I think they're I think they're very different things. I think like cast of Hollyoaks is well, like it be, it you know, sort of fake tan, six pack, you know, very well qualified. Well, yeah, someone and, pointed and, out to and me in between that... is this sort of you know, you can't have both, John. You can either have <laughs> Well no, but you could you could have a little brother in, in Oh okay, Holly, yeah. Okay, in, yeah. In okay. Hollyoaks. Yeah, so 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 actually some someone someone pointed this out to me that Jason Tyndall of Newcastle is very much a Hollywood yeah, guy. Yeah. yeah, yeah, he he's he's that sort of buff Chester guy, right? And then, yeah, and but but so you've got the in betweener. You've you've got Ryan Mason, but he's doing what at this point in the season managers have to do, and that's point at the head, point at the head, and say, and I think when, the, when Porro scored that first goal, pointed at the head, suddenly Tottenham are back in this, and Tottenham should have won from that point. Um, is that where Stellini was going wrong? I did Conte point at his head? Oh, I think he does that. Did he not do that? I feel he pointed at a lot he of things. He must have done. Sure but he, just... but he, he would sort of jab at his head in a way that would panic you, wouldn't he? I was going to say, it's, it's, it's a good point about about uh, Mason because um, if you look at the interim managers as essentially substitute teachers, you've got the energetic... Because you imagine with, um, with uh, Mason, he sits on the corner of the desk like, I'm your mate. So you can chat to me. Right? He probably throws in a swear there to sort of like show that he's one of he's, he's one of the kids. Whereas <laughs> Stellini looked like he was like he's come back from retirement. He's having to do it. He really can't bother. He's not even looked at the syllabus and and, he, and he's checked out. So so there's definitely something. Stellini there. kind of looked like the school t- caretaker. <laughs> yeah, who's been asked. 
to, to, to fill in for because one of the teachers is absent <laughs> and there's no one else available. You just do geography. Yeah. He hates children. <laughs> he's really miserable, but he's just sitting there <laughs> wishing that he could be out, you know, pruning the roses or something. Um, you're not advanced saying Harry Kane will see you in June. And, and, you know, Manchester United, according to uh, uh, the Daily Star, of course, and uh, many others say they want to sign Harry Kane, but will walk away and pursue other options rather than get involved in a lengthy battle over transfer fees with Spurs. Tim says, is there a more solid guarantee of a long drawn out transfer saga than Manchester United promising that there will not be a long drawn out transfer saga? How, how do you see it, John? How do you see sort of from now until August of Harry Kane to Manchester United? Yeah, I believe that that lines come directly from the club, um, which 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 is why all the, the journalists have the same line. The only thing I was thought is that we see him in June. Uh, I was thinking of England got a, 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 a like on on tour at Old Trafford or something. Maybe maybe it was to do with that. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, if Daniel Levy is involved in a, a transfer deal. I mean, I heard this story, it's apocryphal, I'm sure, was that Daniel Levy's attitude to the transfer winner if he's selling a player is that he'll first answer the phone on August the 30th. Yeah. And maybe on August the 31st, he'll speak to you. So anyone suggesting that Harry Kane, should he be sold? I think last time he was due to go to City, two years ago, I I was reading that it was something like the, the 25th of August when... Manchester City announced that they weren't going to move for Harry Kane, having spent the last three months moving Harry Kane. So, yeah, we can expect that. I wasn't uh, looking for the body language of Harry Kane with the other Manchester United players. Has anyone noticed that? You know, some sort of hug talking behind the hand. He shared a a joke with Luke Shaw. Oh, well, that's it. I don't know what we can can read into that. Um, On... um, on United's first half performance, Nels, I thought that Sancho goal, I feel like I've seen that goal on loop by Sancho for Dortmund and yet very rarely for Manchester United. And he sort of, he made it look so effortlessly easy, didn't he? I mean, there's an argument that Spurs made it look effortlessly easy. <laughs> yes, it's not so true. Baseball. No, it's, it's it's a strange thing with um with with Sancho because he's, he's almost going through uh, what Anthony was going through. I think... I think you you're a player who scores goals and and sometimes scores a glut of goals and therefore it looks as if they're doing quite well but in in the sort of uh, in in the actual play they're not actually doing much apart from that and you could argue that's enough if you're scoring a goal but I still think United have got an an array of wide players um and and they've also got a uh, Balistri and they've got um Ahmad coming back from um Sunderland but I don't think they've really cracked it and 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 I, and I appreciate you've got Rashford there who'll always want to come in from the left but apart from that you've almost got a situation that if you took all the best bits of Anthony and um somebody with another with another foot essentially you'd you'd have like a complete a complete winger if you combined all the wingers together but individually I don't think they're quite there and that really hamstrings the attack because uh there's lots of checking in uh and that's fine if you if you're doing what both uh, Sancho and Anthony do to score the goals which is to is, is to have that one shot that they that they both take but um it's it, it gets quite one dimensional and and it doesn't help if you've not got really really good fullbacks 
that can, can that can join the attack and at least uh, create that option sort of outside of them. Slightly disappointingly, Barry, from these last two Spurs results, it, it kind of means that the top four is barring some sort of miracle. It is now Newcastle and Manchester United. We'll get onto Newcastle in just a second. But it, it, th- that sort of jeopardy doesn't seem to be there. Could you see anybody? I mean, you'd need a collapse from Newcastle or Manchester United and you'd need one of... Spurs, Villa, Liverpool or Brighton to go on some sort of extraordinary run? I could possibly see Aston Villa nicking it, maybe, only because of the fixtures they have. They have to play the other teams who are in direct competition with them for a a place in the top four, which, you know, for Villa it's unlikely, but they're the only team I could see crashing the party at this stage and it would be... Uh, United's expense, I think, because I can't see Newcastle slipping off. Maybe Liverpool. I mean, could Liverpool could win? They've got the players to win all their games. I think I Liverpool will probably fall. I mean, I, I think that I say this: Newcastle seem to me to have the tightened up, which we'll talk about them in a minute. I think of the of those two, the bottle potential does lie with Manchester United at this point. There was there was a point earlier in the season when the, the signing of Casemiro was hailed as this. At last, they've got a winner there. But winners get tired and uh, winners get suspended. And uh, I, I'm not sure he had the best game at, at, um, at Tottenham. So, yeah, that, my concern would be with United bottling it when they're in a good position. Um, I suppose the point Barry makes, actually, is of those managers that are still in with a shout, who, which manager do you think is coming up with the most complex stratagem to win each match on the way. That's Unai Emery. He's probably already worked out how he's going to do this and which substitution he's going to make throughout each game. So I reckon Unai's got the bit between his teeth on this. I can imagine it'd be quite extraordinary, wouldn't it? Anyway, that'll do for part one. Part two, uh, we'll begin at Goodison. Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. So Everton won Newcastle four. Kieran says, can you just talk about Isaac's run for the full pod. Um, it was, Barry, extraordinary, wasn't it? I mean, it was like, I, I was trying to think of a computer game. It wasn't, you couldn't do that in sensible soccer, really. You couldn't do it in kickoff too. Maybe striker, you could run that fast with the ball stuck to your feet. But it, it was like a computer game. Um, yeah, I'm the wrong person to be talking about too, about vintage <laughs> uh, football computer games. But it was a remarkable run along the byline. Basically passed three defenders. I think I'm correct in uh, pointing the finger at Idrissa Gay, Michael Keane and Ben Godfrey as the guilty men. And um, it it shouldn't have been possible. It, It was like Bruno Fernandes getting past Eric Dyer. It shouldn't have been possible, but he somehow managed it and they let him do it. Uh he probably couldn't believe his luck. One of those things where you just keep going and going and going. And went, oh, crikey. And then obviously picked out Jacob Murphy at the fire post who, who had the relatively straightforward job of taking all the glory for Alexander Isaac's great run. I mean, I suppose he did sort of generously point to oh, yeah, yeah. Alexander Isaac, didn't he? I mean, it was... Yeah, it was miraculous, Nos. I mean, you can. I mean, Everton fans are sort of saying, well, look, you know, one of our players could have perhaps done a bit more in that situation. But he did start quite, a, you know, 
He started a long way back, didn't he? And he almost had to start. He almost sort of did a run, stopped, and then went, oh, I'll start again. And when it's so tight against the byline, you think nobody's feet can sort of move that quickly. No, it was, it was amazing. And uh, maybe, maybe it's the power of the kit. Because I saw that run, and all I thought of was Saido Iran. Do you remember that 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 Saudi Arabian goal he got in uh, in uh, kind of World, World Cup? Ninety four. World Cup was it? Ninety four. Yeah. Oh, that yeah. one. Same, okay, yeah, It was yeah, essentially yeah. same kit, and yeah, just went past everyone, scored a goal. Well, didn't score a goal in uh, Isaac, uh, Isaac's case, but it made me think: um, should there be? Do you know, like you've got the pushcast for best goal. Should there be an award for the best assist? And then what, who would it be named after? It would be named surely after Guti. Oh, right? the back... Because he's Guti Yeah, the back up, heel thing. You know, those ones where he it's easier to score. Yeah, yeah. But yeah, he, he'd prefer an assist. Although, I mean, Chris says it wasn't given as an assist in uh, fantasy Premier League. Has the game gone for those that care? Because it deflected off someone else in the way to Jacob Murphy. It doesn't actually count... As so, assist, so, 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 so yeah. are you saying when when Murphy scored, he should have pointed at the defender? <laughs> yeah, he should have done. He should have pointed at probably James Tarkovsky, I imagine. Um, so look, Newcastle are closing in on on the Champions League, and actually, John, I think their defence has been so tight this season, and they really withstood kind of Everton and Sean Dyche did a kind of dogs of war 20 minutes at the start of this game, didn't they? And actually, were really good. And Wilson's goal comes completely against the run of play. It was like they got the full Goodison uh, and that's when Everton fans are really, really behind the team and, and cheering them on and, you know, Dominic Calvert-Lewin is finally uh, you know, running hard after the ball. Idris Gray is dominating midfield and then Callum Wilson scores and we are in for another night at Baddison Park and, uh, yeah, um, Sean Dyche. Now, uh, last season... Uh, he didn't get relegated, but that's because he left the club before they got relegated. Now he's staring down the barrel of this one. I noticed uh, Dominic Calvert-Lewin scored a goal, didn't he? Just on half-time, it was ruled out. I mean, there's been a couple of goals tonight that you know you 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 that are so important and are so marginal that you think. God, Var Va is a, a cruel mistress, and this one was this mm. one was this one was pretty cruel, particularly on Dominic Calvert Lewin, whose uh, goal scoring record has not been wonderful this season. Let's put it that way. During the very very long break for VAR, Sean Dyche was having to do this sort of clapping, you know, clapping his players, and he was just sort of clapping and clapping because it went on for so long. This sort of encouragement and. It did look very convincing. <laughs> um, we all know what Sean Dyche is going to do. It's not turned around Everton now. You know, other managers, uh, perhaps of a higher pedigree, have had similar problems at Everton. Uh, turning around that club is very, very difficult. Turning around that group of players is particularly difficult. And, um, you know, by the time uh, Isaac is, is swanning through them, the recriminations are beginning between the team. And uh, Goodison is emptying. Ouch. Mm. Ryan says, if Everton get thrashed at home, but all their fans have left early, does Goodison Park still boo <laughs> at full time? <laughs> Hashtag philosophy. Uh, it's looking, it's looking, I don't know, Barry. I just, I think like everybody else, I just sort of presumed Sean Dyche, Everton's history, which obviously is meaningless. Um, it's not meaningless in terms of history, but it's meaningless in terms of whether they stay up or not. Plus, They've got enough decent players. That sort of engine in midfield would be enough. But it's looking quite bleak at the moment. 
Uh, it's looking very bleak. I mean, I've only seen the highlights of this game, and the highlights, despite the fact that, well, Newcastle scored four goals, so they dominated the highlights, obviously. But the highlights seem to feature Ben Godfrey quite a lot, um, trailing in the wake of various attackers uh, or kneeling on the ground, beating the turf in frustration. And I think it was this month, actually, earlier this month, he now he's not a right back. He's he's by trade. He's playing right back. He's not a right back, but he was playing. I think right back against Manchester United earlier this month, and he got such a torrid time of it from Anthony that he um, had to be hooked at half time. It was just he he was humiliated, and it seems to have been the case here again tonight. He just could not cope, uh, but. In terms of Everton, it's very difficult to see them getting out of this. It can be done, you know. They're only what two points out, uh, from safety, but they have been circling the plug hole for a long, long time, and you think they're going to go at some point. I remember the same thing happened to Sunderland. You know, for years they were just circling the the, the drain, season after season after season, and I'll be honest. It was almost a relief by the end when they did go down because it's not much fun supporting a team that's getting tongued week in, week out. But do you, true, but do you think it's slightly different because Sunderland at least knew what was down the drain? Whereas like Everton, Everton have been just in the bath for so long. (laughs) I'm just imagining how that relief is going to sound, Barry, (laughs) when they go down. Mm. I mean, we know what it's going to sound like. It's going to sound like a big boo, but. I don't really get the feeling that Evertonians are going to feel too relieved about being relegated because, um, well, finances are tight, to say the very least. Mm -hmm. Um, And, uh, you know, one of the big five, as we called them back at the start of the Premier League, uh, are, as you say, Barry, circling the drain and like you, I can't really see them getting out of that drain. They've spent, but it's, if you look at, I mean, it's an amazing list of players that they uh, um, have signed and spent lots of money on. And, you know, recruitment is an inexact science, but it is, some clubs make it seem more like a science than others, don't they? And Everton really don't. Now, I, I know Newcastle fans, um, you know, they are aware of, you know, the you know, not all panelists think the same, but the general feeling about the ownership of Newcastle. But I think we've been very positive about Eddie Howe. But we were in what in the WhatsApp group, Nos talking about the you know the dark arts, and it doesn't seem as quite as um you know obviously we talk about Atletico, and actually we talk about it in really sort of glowing praise. So should we talk about it in the same sense with Newcastle? They are, you know, Nick Pope is taking forty five minutes over a goal kick when they're one 0 up at Goodison. You know, these but these things are part of football and part of what has them where they are. Well that's it. I mean if you're gonna play devil's advocate you could argue that that like um how he's not here to make friends. He's uh he's gonna shit house and he's gonna be uh he's gonna use all all the things that are called dark arts to to win. But uh it's just as a as an uh, if you're playing them, it's really really annoying. If you're not playing them, it's quite amusing. And 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 I love this new thing that's been that's come into the game, literally crept into the game of players being injured off the pitch and then creeping back on slowly. Like we we saw Kane do it the other day, and 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 there was a bit of a hoo ha in this game about Longstaff um, 
sort of uh, coming back onto the pitch, and then um, Pickford tried to tried to um, shove him off. Tried to roll, tried to roll <laughs> him off. It was really fun, <laughs> it wasn't it? The it new did. game of r- rolling Matty Longstaff around <laughs> places that Jordan Pickford. I mean, to be fair, it was one of those incidents that I thought was absolutely a penalty. Like because Longstaff gets his shot away. And he's completely taken out, but because the shot has he's had that opportunity, the referee and VAR don't don't give a penalty. I think it was only one nil at the time as well, so completely understand why he why he wanted to say, "Look, that's a penalty," whether he's on the pitch or off the pitch. So what so what he did was he went back on the pitch, then was thrown off by Pickford, and then came back on, and about thirty seconds later, just sat down on the pitch to say, I'm having that time back, thanks. <laughs> um, Barry, um, you uh, uh, you owe Eric Dyer an apology. Why? Because Clement Longley was nutmegged by Bruno Fernandes. I was, was thinking it? at the Clement time. Clement Longley? Yes. Yeah. Right. And they look so alike. <laughs> <laughs> it's normally right. Eric Dyer. Come on. I mean, let's... If anything, right. he dyed it. So, yeah. <laughs> he pulled the dyer. All right. Well, I apologise then. I, was, I thought it was him. Yeah, I think you can be forgiven, but I think we should probably only criticise Eric Dyer for the mistakes that he makes, rather than <laughs> it seems only fair. Can I just say about the like we all we all sort of have a bit of fun about Everton fans and booing and shouting handball at everything uh, at Goodison Park, but it, first of all, it's great for the atmosphere and everything, but also they tried so hard before the game to be up for it, like like they were really. It's 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 sort of as optimistic and doing everything they can as as I've ever seen them. And there was like blue players, they were singing all the songs and doing all they could to get the players up. And the players did respond. But, I mean, it was inevitable it was going to turn into booze and sort of a, a bad atmosphere. But I, 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 feel, I feel sorry for the Everton fans because they're so, they're, so, they're so fed up. Yeah, I totally agree, actually. Do you think actually that the, you know, You've got more right to boo, haven't you? If you've really gone to the, you know, if you've painted your face blue and you've got blue smoke bombs and you've stood outside an hour before the kickoff for the bus to go past just to go, come on, then when it doesn't go well, you do, you, you've earned the right. You've earned the right there. Did I did I read somewhere that um, Sean Dyche had told Everton's players to turn up for home matches uh, in their cars and the fans had a meeting and said, no, no, we want them to turn up on the bus so that we can, you know, roar encouragement at them co- collectively and wave flares and whatnot. And why did why did Sean Dice why did Sean Dice want is he a, like is one bus environmentally worse than twenty k? It isn't, isn't it? Buses are good, aren't they? Like like is it? Yeah, but the thing is, Goodison. I mean, it's it's pretty tight around there, and the the, the size the size of cars that. The average Everton player. Well, they're not have. bigger than a bus, John. Better. They're not bigger than a bus. If, if we're going to talk this stuff, it's quite boring. But grounds that have a problem with parking a bus, Sellers Park. I always get caught behind the bus and get locked out outside. Uh, Anfield was terrible for uh, just down the side, and I think Goodison is the same. So maybe that's maybe that's Sean Dyche's point. You know, if you've got a nice Porsche Boxster, you can just smooth yourself in there and ignore all the fans really treading on Ben Fisher's toes here you know <laughs> yeah. but anyway uh, to St Sorry. Mary's uh, Southampton nil, Bournemouth 1 very wet here wasn't it surely this uh, Noz is Southampton down there'll be 
there are six points off safety, just five games to go. And like they weren't terrible again. I feel like a lot with Southampton, they don't look like a terrible team. They sort of move the ball around quite nicely, but they are the worst team in the division. Yeah, and and it's it's one of those where you look, you, you can look at any team. You can look at Everton. You can look at um, Leicester or whoever or Forest, and you can say, oh, they're too good to go down. But if the bottom team, essentially, I think the bottom team are too, team are too good to go down because they've got. If they go down, there'll be loads of vultures um, hovering for their for their best players, and they've got some really good players. So that like the bottom team are too good to go down. So therefore, no one's too good to go down. Um, my 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 sort of a. Uh, my sort of a big sort of a sense of watching the highlights were it was raining so much, and and when I when I when I play football and it's raining, it gets in my eyes, and I just wonder like in the old days, especially with like players like Jim Layton, they used to put Vaseline on their eyebrows. You never see that anymore, so I, I don't know if that if that's an issue anymore or not. Well, I think Vaseline was more for sweat, wasn't it, than for rain? Oh, you know, it's the same. It's the same I mean, principle. it's liquid. I mean, it is liquid, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah, Jim moved from Aberdeen to Manchester and it was so warm <laughs> that he was sweating. <laughs> <laughs> I think playing in the rain is fine. I just, I mean, I don't, I think you I think you can see I think most I mean it's my experiences I don't know I don't know which of you is I don't know which of us is more like an elite footballer but like when I'm playing in the rain I don't suddenly think I can't see I mean we talked about rear view mirrors I mean I mean I mean in, I mean, in, in fairness in later years glasses well, become of an course. issue you you Edwin Moses and Huey Teep you know <laughs> You can't, you can't you can't use Vaseline on glasses. That's a problem. So. Um, Jacob Tanswell writing uh, on Twitter. Uh, I think he works for the Athletics. Says, Look, Southampton have lost twelve games by one goal. The first few you may put down to fine margins, but such a theme suggests an inability tactically and psychologically to grab games by the scruff of the neck and make the difference, as they did tonight. Games drift and shoulders drop. I guess John, they did have that, like you said, another one of those offsides where you're like, oh, it seems too uh, it seems too harsh. When they're that close to going down, yeah, and 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 Che Adams, it's a beautiful finish. It does appear to be problems with Che Adams. It's that they can't keep him fit for long enough to you know, to be a prong for their team. Uh, I agree with Nas. Um, they do have some players that other players, other teams will want. Uh, I've you know beaten a drum for Carlos Alcaraz, Charlie, as they call him down there. That was one of those moments where offside is offside. We have to accept that, though um, certain Arsenal fans were running the old Zap Bruder tape last night. That's going to hurt. If that's the decision, well, it's not the decision. As Jacob Tanswell says very, quite correctly, there's been so many... This is this is Southampton's problem, in, and I've seen quite a lot of Southampton this season. Just when you think, OK, this lot can turn this around, and they have the talent, they've got Carlos Alcaraz, they've got Jay Adams, they've got several other players... They they turn in a performance that um, I, I'm not sure that they did play that well against Bournemouth until it was far too late. Um, Gary O'Neill uh, again, you know, every time. What what Bournemouth have that Southampton don't have is that Bournemouth ha- have some bad results and are able to pull off a good result almost in the next game, and that's what they did this time. And uh, that's all credit to Gary O'Neill, with a, which, with what I would say, is probably an inferior squad. When we think of Southampton, I, I was talking about it today with some some pals. Why did they sack Ralph Hasenhuttle? Why why did they bring in Nathan Jones? Um, every game I go to this season, uh, there's, there's this phenomenon, and maybe it's been happening for years, where the fans 
don't shout at the players. They don't shout at the manager anymore. I mean, maybe they do if it's Nathan Jones or, or Graham Potter at the end. It's the sporting director. It's the chairman. Daniel Levy got that tonight. This is the new trend in football support, isn't it? That you attack the suits. And I think there's a lot of that goes on at Southampton at the moment because of the decision-making at that club. If the decision-making had been uh, better ordered, Southampton should not have been in that position. And yes, in our in our Premier League preview pod, I came and I thought, oh, I'm going to surprise everyone here with my prediction that Southampton will go down. As this is before a ball had been kicked. And lo and behold... So did everyone else. So there were clearly problems there at the start of the season because everyone on the preview pod predicted that Southampton would get relegated. <laughs> well, yeah, but I, I, I suppose the thing is, as, as poor as you might have thought they, they could be, I, as I say, I think they've had the chance to pull themselves out of it a few times. And you can't tell me that, if they'd have kept Ralph House in the hospital or brought in a better manager than Nathan Jones, they wouldn't be four points better, in which point they would have a chance of staying up. I mean, maybe maybe my memory's playing tricks on me, but weren't Southampton for a while seen as like the the pre-Brighton Brighton in terms of the like the, everyone called them a really well-run club? I mean, are they did they stop being a well-run club? Like what? Well, they've, ch- they've changed ownership a couple of times and essentially sold off their best stock. And funny enough, I think the people at Brighton and Brentford would pay tribute to Southampton's model and picked up off it. And then that's what always happens, isn't it? That somebody follows your model, does it better. And if you're a small club, eventually the uh, the carrying big clubs will take away all your players. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's, we talked yesterday about, you know, it goes in cycles at the top. It's probably the same at the bottom, right? Your recruitment it will not always work, right? You will not always bring in... And they've got a very young squad, haven't they? I mean, it's worth pointing out in my predicted table. I had Aston Villa finishing 7th and ninth, and West Ham didn't actually <laughs> exist. So, you know, um, my apologies <laughs> to them. Uh, <laughs> um, so, yeah, three away games in a row, Bournemouth won for the first time ever in the Premier League. And we've talked a lot about Gary O'Neill and what a brilliant job uh, he's done. So we don't need to do it right now because it's late, isn't it? So that'll do for part two. Part three, we'll look ahead to the weekend's games and any other business. So crispy can chicken. Jetzt nur bei McDonald's. Der McCrispy Homestyle mit extra crispy chicken. Und neu, McCrispy Homestyle spicy guacamole. Nur für kurze Zeit. In allen teilnehmenden Restaurants, nicht zu unseren Frühstückszeiten. Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. Uh, so, um, uh, Premier League games this weekend. Rich says, is it just a coincidence that Jordan Jarrett Bryan hasn't been on since Villa have been on a European charge? Uh, he's on on Monday uh, for the Arsenal fallout and the rise of Aston Villa. They go to Old Trafford. So, like we said, um, Barry, they play all the team. This is a massive game for Unai Emery. And if they win it, then that does put the cat near the pigeons, I would uh, suggest. Um uh, some massive games at the bottom: Bournemouth, Leeds, and Leicester, Everton. Um, but uh, Leicester, Everton, Barry is—it's almost agonising to think about it. Uh, it is, and you would. Well, it's not curtains if either side loses, but yeah, it's—I it's, I don't know. I, I just don't know. I mean, <laughs> either side could win. They're still in deep trouble. 
uh, so are whoever they beat. Uh, but Everton really need a result. I mean, they they really need a result against somebody. And if they can get one against a team who are one place above them in the table, so much the better. But uh, there's life there at, at Goodison. And, yeah, but I, I couldn't call it. No. You sort of think Leicester have got... They, Leicester feel better than Everton to me. But maybe that's just the last football match I watched involved Everton getting hammered at home. Uh, uh, Liverpool play Spurs in that sort of race for something. It's, so that conversation will start soon about is it better to is it better to be in Europe or not at all, Noz? Is it what's what's the sort of what is the best thing? I mean, the Europa League is, once you get to the semi-finals, it's worth being in, but you have to get there. Yeah, I mean, I think I think the Europa League has has built up a bit of kudos now. I think uh, I think it it was a bit of a joke for a while, but um, I think I think it's built up a bit of a reputation. I think even the I, I mean even the anthem helps. I think it's it's a good anthem. I'd oh, I'd, nice I'd, I'd argue it's it's up there with I'd, it's better than champion. I'm going to say it's better than champions. No, League. it's not. It is. It, it is. It's it, it's the champions the Champions League anthem is done. It's so done. Whereas like. I get, I get more excited. Well, I'm a United fan, but I get more excited about the Europa League no, anthem these true. days. But John, you're the music man. I mean, musically, the Champions League anthem. Obviously, he's got quite a lot. It owes quite a lot to Zadok the Priest, doesn't it? But um, yeah, it's the same music. I think. Won't we hear that same music at the coronation? I think we might. You know. Well, they have a. Well, they have a. We'll have like a football, and they'll they'll have the you know the well the I, giant I, I, the I giant think, Champions League logo. I, I think at the Queen's coronation. In 1953, Zadok the Priest was used. So, being a very... Funny if Charles got the Europa League. Wouldn't it? Yeah, Charles gets gets the Europa League rather than On a Thursday night. There you go, mate. Maybe maybe Harry gets the Europa League anthem, but, you know, that's the... Or the Conference League, or whatever that was, but... um. So, yeah. So, so I I guess the idea is the Conference League feels like for a team like... For teams that don't have never been in the Champions League. It is good and, you know, West Ham could win it and that would be good. You know, Liverpool and Spurs would struggle to get excited about it, even though Tottenham haven't won a trophy for, you know, the best part of two decades or whatever. Somebody uh, who knows these things better than me was saying that at Liverpool, they're obviously, obviously clubs make contingency plans uh, and they are not particularly happy about the idea of a conference league and they're trying to work out what to do if they end up in it. Uh, Fulham, Man City. Nos, can you see Fulham being the team to stop <laughs> no, City? No, <laughs> but I mean, it'll be lovely. It'll be lovely to breathe more life into the into the um, into the title race. Um, it's more a case of whether Arsenal can sort of stick to it now and just uh, maybe maybe they just had the City game on their mind for like a few weeks and now they're they're done with it. They can just have a strong finish. Um, but yeah, it's it's kind of a pity that things feel a little bit set. Apart from the bottom, because like you say, unless unless Manchester United completely collapse, which is it's not beyond the realms of possibility, you kind of feel as if it's kind of set. Just because apart from Villa, as was mentioned, no one else feels as if they're good enough to to sort of get uh, get enough points. But uh, but yeah, we'll we'll we'll, we'll see. I mean, um, just just mentioning the coronation, I just wondered whether whether because because you're all royalists. Um, Especially, especially, especially Barry. Um, I just wondered whether you do like a special pod for it, 
like a post-coronation oh, Reviewing book. it? Yeah, reviewing yeah. the coronation? Well, look, we'll think about it. I don't know if there's in the budget for that. Are you doing the minute-by-minute, minute, Barry, of that one? or uh... Uh, Not that I'm aware of. I'm not sure I'd be trusted with that one. You're not <laughs> sitting next to Hugh Edwards uh, on the BBC. But me, Hugh Edwards, and Nicholas Witchell. <laughs> um, coronating it up it's a panel i'd like just for just for you know a champions league night uh brighton play wolves uh sort of need to get back on the uh get back on it brighton don't they um nottingham forest massive game for them had a good win against uh brighton they now go to brentford um at newcastle home to southampton palace west ham and arsenal don't play till tuesday when they play chelsea uh, in the women's champions league chelsea drew in Barcelona, but it wasn't enough after losing at home. Uh, John, you you saw this amidst all the other games you saw as well. That'd be, Emma Hayes will be disappointed, but they Barcelona are a very good team. Yes, they are a very good team. And the, the better team went through, uh, it, it felt to me as if Chelsea just didn't get enough of the ball to... to uh, if I think on the, on the first leg at Stamford Bridge, they felt a little bit lucky to get away with just losing 1-0 um, and then one all. Uh, they they scored the second goal, came back into it, but it was always as if Barcelona could control the possession. Um, we'll just have to wait and see what Arsenal do against Wolfsburg. That's the big hope now. Oh yeah, that's on Monday, of course. Uh, the Guardian Women's Football Weekly is good, and you should all listen to it. Simon says, "When do we get the Ellis James voice note about Gareth Bale potentially coming out of retirement to play for Wrexham?" Thing is, Barry, I sense that Ryan Reynolds and, and Rob McElhenney might twist his arm I mean I'm, it's the sort of you could just see him going ah oh, why not eh and I, and, and I just I mean League 2 is probably you know it's probably, probably not as relaxing as playing golf in LA I'm looking at the teams in League 2 and thinking he's not going to want to go to let's have a look come on Carlisle you know I mean yeah but he could just do home games couldn't he they could just say I'm just going to do home games they go fine Crawley you know, I mean, we could just list this in the, like the KLF or something. Well, I tell you what was interesting was Wilson on a Monday said that there's a danger of Wrexham sort of using football to make content rather than, you know, the other way around. I've, I've got that right. You sort of mean content being the ultimate, the ultimate ambition rather than football. And a few people got in touch to say, actually, you know, given, you know, in 2023, actually that might actually be quite a sustainable way to run a football club. And if the football club has success, like, you know, if Bale signed for Wrexham, you could see a lot of other teams in League 2 going, you know, you're sort of taking the piss. But if it works and it delivers numbers and content, etc., then it's just annoying for everyone else because they're not doing it, right? From, from what I understand, Wrexham delivers much bigger numbers than probably quite a lot of Premier League clubs for, uh, for certain websites. Um <laughs> Listen, I'm not exactly on board with a Disney production that, uh, you know, that Garland's a, 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 a non-league club other than the one that I follow, uh, which is the way that it is. Um, and there does appear to be this thing, um, and, and actually you get this with Manchester City as well, and you've had this a little bit with Wrexham, is why aren't you all as happy as we are about this? Which misunderstands football supporting at its very essence, I feel, because... One of the best things, I mean, I've pretty much lapsed Manchester United fan, uh, but I still like it when their rivals lose. That's the that's almost like the last vestige of it, and and it feels like the Wrexham thing. 
why aren't you all happy for us when we're really happy and we come to say Coventry City, where I saw them earlier this season, and you're, you've had a really miserable time? Well, Coventry aren't going to be that happy for you, I'm afraid, lads. Uh, but it appears that beyond that, in the world, in a, across the world, Wrexham have caught hearts and clicks and all the rest of it. So, good good luck to them. But you can only be, in, you you know, you you a they're not an underdog, but I mean it's an underdog story, I guess, turning that club around and all that but then you're very quickly not an underdog anymore and then actually people want you to lose you know that's what season two is about right or you know of a documentary right actually you don't want them you don't want it to you want them to be there because it's quite fun but actually you'd rather they got hammered next season how did rob McElhenney and ryle reynolds react to them not being liked that's the interesting part if you get to that point, say say they stroll through League Two, they get to League One, and everyone in League One is like, you know, say it's there's that eternal triangle of teams, isn't there? Like Sheffield Wednesday, Ipswich, or whatever that never get up. I mean, one of those who will, but you know, but I take your point, yeah, yeah, one of them will, yeah, but yes, yeah, yeah, and suddenly a Wrexham arrives. I mean, come on, those fans are just, oh, you know, and also, and actually, also the kind of um, you know, the novelty of seeing a Hollywood star. What well, if they keep turning up? You're like, oh, it's you know. Which could be anyone, right? Well, well, like once you've once once you've met someone enough times, they're just a person who just wants, you know. What if you like me and never watches Hollywood films and never knows who these people are? And I know that comes across as really ignorant. I do watch films; I just don't watch those films, you know. And and it's like, oh, you, what do you mean you don't know who these people are? Well, I know other stuff that maybe you don't know. <laughs> you know, that's that sort of. You're just waiting for what? Who 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 do you want to take over Macclesfield? Who's the dream? Is it sort of Leonard Cohen and uh, and Tom yeah, Waits? Well, well, Leonard Cohen would be interesting as he's long deceased, uh, but um, <laughs> <laughs> but I suppose the estate of 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 of, of Len would be good. Um, I don't know Peter Hamill of Van de Graaff Generator putting in a cheeky bid. Him and Robbie Savage. <laughs> That'd be a documentary, wouldn't it? Going back to your original question, if Gareth Bale decided to play for Wrexham, what would be in it for Gareth Bale? I've just I've just had a look, and near Wrexham, there's Wrexham Golf Club, Clay's Golf and Drive Range, which is a great course and great people, and Moss Valley Golf Club, brilliant game of golf, nice golf course. He could also live in Cheshire as well, which is... Uh, as you know, Nas, completely strewn with golf clubs and, you know, you've got Lytham and all that. I mean, it's it's made for him, actually, really, if you think about it. Royal Liverpool, all that. Yeah. <laughs> Nas, were they your reviews of those golf courses or the websites? <laughs> no, no, no. What an amazing knowledge of the Wrexham golf scene you have. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm a working class hero. Don't, don't ruin my rep. Yeah, uh, Jeter, friend of the pod, says all this football talk is very good, but I'm I'm teaching the kids English idioms at the moment, and the most important bit on Monday was Barry saying hitting a cow's ass with a banjo. It seems a banjo is some kind of shovel, but is the expression common in England or only Ireland or just Irish vets kids? Anyone? It's important to if you could please explain to Jeter what a banjo is, uh, Barry. It's a musical instrument. Yeah, with yeah. eight strings. Yeah, it's quite a, it's, a round, yeah. a round sort of end with eight strings, and uh, deliverance. Tell her uh, to to Google banjo jewel deliverance. Uh, I mean, the idea being, it should be if on the off the odd chance you were 
near a cow and you are holding a banjo, which seems actually quite an unlikely situation, it should be quite easy to hit uh, the cows behind because it's large and a banjo is quite large. But, uh, you know, I've never picked up a banjo. Uh, anyway, um, I don't know where the phrase began, um, but maybe we'll find out. Uh, Mitch says, Hi, well, I was listening to Monday's pod on the way to work. I heard Wilson talking about watching Les Mis the famous musical starring Eddie Redmayne. However, I misheard Les Mis and thought he said Ray Mears. As I was driving, I was unable to check the internet, so I spent the rest of the journey wondering if there really was a three-hour Ray Mears musical. What would the story be? What would the songs be like? I started imagining the lyrics. It was only when I got to work I could solve the mystery, but I really feel we could be onto something here. Let's get it in production. Ray Mears, the musical. Uh, Barry, would you play Ray? I'm not sure my bushcraft is up to... uh playing Ramirez, I would just spend all three acts trying and failing to light a fire with a a flint and a piece of string and some straw, all the while moaning about the fact that, you know, I actually have a lighter in my pocket, can I not just use that? I, I'm just worried that Wilson's getting into musical theatre I'm, w- I'm wondering which way yeah, you know, which, which way this could lead It was a surprise. Well, well Jonathan talking about you know what breaking down you know like how they moved in in uh rock of ages the, yeah, the, what, like what, just what, tactically yeah. naive there <laughs> from uh <laughs> yeah but the tactics behind the the revival of blood brothers yeah, or something exactly. like well, that I, I, mr mustafa mr mustafa he's just got to come closer <laughs> honestly i i i reckon a great musical because 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 a lot of great musicals are like two competing sort of camps you got West Side Story and and that kind of thing. Like, what if it was Ray Mears versus Bear Grylls, and it was about which one was best outdoors surviving? Yeah. So what they're sort of on their own. Maybe both. They're both on set, and the lights, the light just it, the spotlight goes on one of them, and the other one goes dark. And when it goes dark, they're just sort of whittling away, and then it goes. Yeah, it's a really that's a really lovely. Yeah, idea. but 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 then they but then they they come together like in a big on a raft. Maybe they both build a raft like, to get to. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Drink, drinking each other's piss, <laughs> just having a just having a grand old time. That's that catchy number. I'm drinking. I'm Bear Grylls. And I'm drinking Ray Mears piss. Yeah, what a song that would be. Anyway, I feel like it's probably time to go now. It's late for all of you. Um, uh, thanks so much for coming on. Thanks, Barry. You're welcome. Thanks, Nas. Thank you. Thank you, John. Thanks for having me. Uh, Football Weekly is produced by Joel Grove with Arif Islam. Our executive producer is Danielle Stevens. We'll be back on Monday. This is The Guardian.